the job of combining our faith with our works. Father, we thank you today for this time of worship that we have shared in music. We thank you, Lord, for all of the work and preparation, not only um, musically but spiritually, that went into this time of worship that we had, and we are so thankful for it. So now, Father, we turn to your word. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord. Open our ears, eyes, hearts, and understanding that we might receive your word with joy and with thanksgiving and that we might run to do what your word encourages encourages and challenges us to do. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And Josh, you can turn me down just a hair if you're up there. Thanks. Um, So, like I said, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about some of the characteristics of the living church of Jesus Christ. And this week, we come to the topic of words or works, or in other words, what you say versus what you do. And in this passage, Jesus is in a dialogue with the chief priests and elders. And these men were part of something called the Sanhedrin, and it was the highest ruling body and the court of justice among the Jewish people in the time of Jesus. And in this chapter alone, Jesus had come into Jerusalem, and he was literally turning things upside down. He had processed triumphantly into Jerusalem. He threw the money changers and those who sold things out of the temple. He was healing people and children were worshiping and praising him. And because of all of this, the chief priests and elders were questioning him about his authority to act in the manner in which he had been acting. So in response, Jesus says that he will answer their question to him if they will answer one of his. So in true Jesus fashion, he uses an approved rabbinic method of debate. How about you know Jesus will meet you where you are on your own territory and still get you straight? And he answers their question by offering them one of his own. So Jesus asked him about John's baptism, and he says, where do you think John's baptism came from? Was it from heaven or did it have human origin? And the chief priests and elders talked amongst themselves and, you know, they wanted to answer this question in a way that would put them in the best possible light and achieve their own personal goals. And so they had to come and talk about it amongst themselves and see how they should answer. And they decided that what they would do was avoid answering the question that Jesus asked them. And so they said, hmm, we don't know. And so in response, Jesus refuses to answer their question about his authority. But he goes on to pose another question to them in the form of a parable. And this is what we have in verses 28 through 32. And the question really boils down to this. What do you do with what you know? What do you do with what you know? And he poses this question to them in the form of a parable. And a parable, simply defined, is a short, simple story designed to communicate a spiritual truth, religious principle, or moral lesson. 
a figure of speech in which truth is illustrated by a comparison or example drawn from everyday experiences. And so this parable we're going to look at today is called the parable of the two sons. And it only appears in Matthew's gospel. And it's an excellent example of an everyday experience that these chief priests and elders would have been familiar with. So look with me at Matthew chapter 21. You can find it on page 803 of your pew Bible. And we're going to start at verse 28. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. And this is the word of the Lord. So as we just read, the passage begins with the father asking the first son to go and work in his vineyard. And the son clearly states that he will not go. But later on, something happens and he changes his mind. And some people might be angry with him because they might feel he's being disobedient or dishonorable to your father. And that may be true, and I can appreciate that. But what I like about him is that he was honest. He said he wasn't going, and he meant it. He didn't play around with it and say, oh, maybe I will, maybe. But he said, no, I'm not going. Maybe he had other plans for that day. I don't know, but I don't believe he had any intention to go to work for his father that day. But something happened. And the NRSV simply states it as he changed his mind. But the word in the Greek that is used here indicates something more. It means more literally that afterwards, He cared. He didn't care when he made that first decision, that first statement to say he wasn't going. But later, he cared. It also says later he regretted. But the one that really jumps out at me is it says he repented. He was going to do one thing, and he decided to do another. And that is, in essence, what repentance means. You're going in one direction, And you turn and go in another. This young man changed directions. And I think what's so significant about him is that when we are honest about where we are, I think it really um, sets us up to be ready to respond to God's call. It reminded me of 
One, Paul, before he was converted, and you know, Paul was persecuting Christians, and he was on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and had an encounter with the Lord. And the thing about Paul was he was zealous about persecuting Christians. Nobody had any question about what he was doing. And I think that's very, very important. And I thought also about my own life and my own conversion. I accepted Christ when I was really young. I was so young that I really don't remember what my age was. And I remember coming home, my mom was here today, and I went home. She was sitting in a chair. I'd been to church with my aunt and my cousin, and I told her I'd accepted Christ. And, um, but I remember from that moment on that I knew that God wanted me for himself. And if you looked at my life from that point forward, some people would sense something about me, but there really wasn't anything really significantly different about that. And so from that point forward, I had that, that conviction throughout my entire life. And then um, I got to college. And you know, in college, you get to be really smart, and you get to making your own decisions. And so I decided that since I was an adult and I could make my own decisions, that I was going to decide that I didn't believe in God anymore. Yeah. And... Um, you know, my grandmother was a pastor, and my grandfather was a pastor, and my mother's mother, uh, who's 101 now, was, uh, is, is a church mother, and her father was a trustee and elder and all that. And I just said, you know what? You know, I've been raised in this, and they've told me all this stuff, but, you know, I don't have any proof that there is a God. So I just decided that I'm not going to believe in him anymore. I also decided something else that day. And I decided that I wasn't going to tell them that I didn't believe in God anymore. <laughs> I'm not completely stupid. <laughs> and, um, but, it, but what I think that honesty did for me was it, it was almost kind of a way of admitting to myself where I really was in my relationship with God, you know, and I, and it really, I believe, set God up, set me up for God to really do some stuff in my life, and so at the time, I was singing with the gospel group, we go around and sing, and it seemed like from the moment I made that decision, every time I sang, somebody would come up to me and say, oh man, your voice is, your voice is really beautiful, keep using your voice for the Lord, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> You know, and I'm telling you, every time that I sang after that, someone would say that to me, keep singing for the Lord. And I knew that I wasn't doing that. I was just singing because I enjoyed it. It wasn't really anything personal for me. I enjoyed the music, enjoyed the people. I was like, okay, I can do that. But the more people said that to me, it just began to grate on me and convict me. And it got to the point where I just became angry when people said that to me. And I remember this particular Sunday after we had a concert, and as a matter of fact, it was in May, and it was the week before exams. And um, I said, you know what? I said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm either going to fully surrender my life to the Lord, or I'm not going to sing this music anymore. And thankfully, I made the decision to do that. But I think being honest about where I was allowed me to really recognize God's work in my life when it came. So that's what I really appreciate about this first son. And he will become very integral in what, what Jesus is saying to them in this, in this um, uh, passage. So then we have the second son. And in verse 30, the father poses the same question uh, to his second son. And he asked him to go and work in his vineyard. And this son says, oh, sure, I'll go. But he doesn't go. 
And, you know, I don't know, there's nothing in the text that indicates that he changed his mind or his camel broke down or something. You know, there's nothing. It just says he said he was going and he didn't go. So for me, there's an indication that there is some deception going on with this particular son. Maybe he didn't want to tell his father the truth about where he was going that day. Um, But the reality of the matter is he never intended to go work for his father that day. And he was lying. And the, the problem with that is when we say we're going to do something, it automatically creates an expectation on the people, the part of other people that we're going to do it. And that wasn't the case for the first son because he told him outright he wasn't going to do it. But there was an expectation on the part of this son that he would do what he said and then he didn't do it. And that's sometimes what we do. We say we're going to do something and we know, even as we are speaking the words, as they're coming out of our mouths, we have no intention of following through with that. So after Jesus asked this question about these two sons, he says, so who do you think did the will of their father? And these uh, chief priests and elders answered without hesitation, the first one. This time they didn't have to have a conference about it. They didn't have to discuss it and, and figure out what the right answer was going to be to fit their need. They knew what the answer was. And what this showed was that they were not unable to answer the question about John. They had the ability to answer. They understood the question that Jesus was answering. The problem that they had was with their doer. And their doer is that thing that causes you to admit when you're wrong and to admit what's right and to do what is right. And they had a problem with their doer. My own word, by the way. So Jesus in turn responds to them that because of this, tax collectors and prostitutes, what they considered the low lives of society, were going into the kingdom of God before these ordained chiefs and chief priests and elders. So can you imagine? These are some of the lowest people in society. And Jesus said that they were going into the kingdom of God before the priests and elders. Why? Because they responded. They acted upon their beliefs. They responded to the gospel in full obedience. And I tried to think of a way to demonstrate this, to illustrate this. So I thought about, okay, well, we know that this new movie, um, Jesus, God is Not Dead, just came out a little while ago. It's been really popular, people talking about it. And so just pretend with me for a minute that these chief priests and elders decided that they wanted to go see God is Not Dead. And they wanted to go on opening night. And they knew that all the people from all the other synagogues were going to come because this was opening night. You know, you want to go. You know how y'all do when Tyler Perry's movie come out? You want to go the first night of the movie because you want to help those sales and all that kind of stuff. So they want to go to the movie. So they said, well, let's go two hours early. We'll go early, we'll buy our tickets, we'll stand in line, so we'll be the first people in the line. Wear your best outfit, your robes and stuff, and come, we're going to stand in line, get our tickets. We're going to be the first people in the concession stand, get our popcorn, our sodas, and our candy, and then go pick out our seats, and we'll be right in there where the movie starts. 
So they go up, they show up two hours early, they stand in line, they're the first ones in line, they're really excited, and as time approaches for the door to open, the security guard comes forward and he says, excuse me, excuse me, back up, back up, back up, excuse me, back up, back up, back up, opens up the door and he says, hey, you tax collectors and you prostitutes, come on in. Come on in, come on in, you, come on in, all of you, come on. And this huge group of people comes in in front of the people that's been standing there for two hours. And it's not just anybody. These are the chief priests and elders. Can you imagine what they felt like? That's what's happening in this passage today. You see, Jesus is saying these people who decided they weren't going to swindle anybody anymore. They weren't going to take more than their share anymore. They weren't going to sell their bodies for money anymore. These people now are entering the kingdom of God before you. And you've been standing here all along. So, I love what the passage also says. Because what it says in that last verse is... um, And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. And, you know, it wasn't that the chief priests and elders just kind of looked and looked away. The implication of the verb that is used here means that they stared. They thought about it. They understood It even goes on to say that it means to gaze with wide open eyes as at something remarkable. Oh, my. Look at that. That's what they did. They saw it. They didn't miss it. But after they saw it, they pretended like they didn't see it. Because they didn't want to acknowledge it. And they didn't want to change. See, Jesus is comparing them to this son that wasn't honest, that didn't change. His mind was already made up what he was going to do. And he was not about to change it for anybody. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes were like that son that said, I'm not going. But he had an encounter and changed his mind. And they were changed and they entered into the kingdom of God. So what we're talking about today is words or works. To see and to pretend not to see is a dangerous thing to do. And the question that I think each of us needs to answer today is, which son are you? Which son are you? Are you? Are you saying yes, but in your heart of hearts, you're really saying absolutely not? Are you saying I surrender 
and you know you're not willing to surrender anything? Are you saying, I'm going to go left and you know you're heading right? Which son are you? And I think we also need to ask that question as a church. Which church are we? Are we Jesus' church that is alive? Because if we are Jesus' living church, we should be committed to responding and acting upon what we know. That's what that church in Acts 2 did. They acted upon what they knew. They lived it out on a daily basis. And as we know, it's very easy, very easy to say one thing and do another. As a matter of fact, we do it ourselves on a regular basis. Come on. How many times do you say, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that? (laughs) There you go, you know? And you know you're not committed. You're not going to do it. We all do it. But at the end of the day, praise the Lord, it's not how you start, but how you finish. But God is going to hold us accountable for what we said and whether or not we did it. Are we really the people that we say we are? Are we really the kind of church that all of our literature says that we are? It's easy to put it on paper. That's the easiest part. But are we really committed to living it out in its totality? And we pray that every week in our prayer, our Church Without Walls prayer, we want to do what it means to be Jesus' church no matter the cost. Are we really willing to pay the cost? So the question for all of us today here is, what are we doing with what we know? What are we doing with what we know? Because knowledge is a wonderful gift of God. It is amazing the knowledge that God has given to mankind. But knowledge, just for the sake of having knowledge, is absolutely useless. Absolutely useless. Either we're going to put it into action or not. And if you're not going to put it into action, just be honest and say, you know what? I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. We need to just stop saying stuff we know we're not going to do. That's a more honorable position to have, to be honest about what. Because then, like that son, When you're honest with yourself and with God, then he can work with you. But if you're still sitting there saying, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And you know you're not going to do it tomorrow. You're just wasting your time. So is it about words or is it about works? And as we go to prayer, I want us each to think about that. Ask God to show you 
where you are, which son you are. Where, as a church, are we not acting upon our words and doing what we've said we were committed to do? Let's go before God in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that it doesn't matter where we start, but where we end. And we're thankful, O oh God, that you can handle the brutal truth about where we are because you know it already anyway. So we come this morning, O oh God, recognizing that we have not always been honest about where we are. We have tried to hide behind our words rather than walking out our deeds. Father, we come this morning praying that you would shine your light into our hearts. Open our eyes and our minds. Give us full understanding. Enable us to see the things about ourselves that we don't want to acknowledge. Make us honest where we're dishonest. Make us pliable. Ready to receive correction and instruction. We want our works to line up with our words. We want to line up with what your word says we are to be and to do. And we acknowledge this morning that you are the only one that can show us how to do that. We pray, Lord, that where we are unwilling, you would make us willing. In Jesus' name. And as we continue to pray this morning, we pray, Lord, for those in our community who are in special need of prayer this morning. We pray for Nancy Wolf, who is at Mercy Fairfield, and for Diane Wagner, who was released yesterday after having surgery. We remember the friends and family of Howard Stifle, who died on May 6th and was funeralized this week. We pray for Don Kuyper and Evelyn White, Richard Bethel, Bill Stothfang, Chris Stothfang, Jake Desch, Barbara Houston, Gordon Houston, Vivian McCracken, Molly Evans, Rebecca Desch, and Janet Bennett's son and also her husband. Father, we just come lifting up all of these names that we have mentioned to you. And even as we've mentioned them, we know that there are others who are not on this list, other needs, Lord, that have yet to be expressed openly. Father, we just pray. We come before the God who is the great physician. Father, we pray that you would touch these bodies this morning. Father, that you would bring healing in whichever way that it is needed. We pray, Father, for wisdom for physicians and oncologists and radiologists and neurologists and Lord, whatever the need is, would you bring wisdom and direction and show them how to treat these patients that lay before them. We pray, Father, for those who are recuperating, Lord, that you would restore their strength fully, God. 
We pray, Lord, for each person on this list, Lord, that you would encourage them, Father, that they would know that in this time of suffering that they are not alone, but that you are with them every step of the way and you will not leave them. We pray for their families as they walk through these challenging times with them, that you would encourage them as well. Father, that you would give them the hope and the peace that passes all understanding. And Father, we just pray for Drew and his family as they travel back today, that you would give them safety and just to continue to be a time of refreshing and renewal and celebration for them. And Father, we don't want to forget the things that are going on in the world around us. And we pray, oh God, for those 276 girls, young girls, snatched from their families. Lord, our hearts go out to those mothers and those fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers and aunts and uncles and sisters and brothers, Lord, who have lost a loved one, don't know where they are at this moment. Father, we pray a protection over those girls. We pray that you will return them to those families, oh God. Father, we know that wherever they are, you see them. You see them and you know what is happening. So we lift them up before you, oh God. Would you perform a miracle? Would you do what these captors do not want to do and rescue these young women? We pray for those who have been sent out from this congregation, who are missionaries all over the world, giving their lives in sacrifice to win souls for Christ. Oh, would you protect them? Would you provide for them? Would you encourage them? Father, we thank you. What a privilege you've given us to come before you in prayer. We thank you, oh God that you hear the cries of our voices and the cries of our hearts. And we can rest knowing that we have turned our cares and concerns over to you. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you in prayer. Father, we lift all these things up to you and we leave them with you. And pray that you will accomplish your good pleasure in every situation. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. So as we continue this morning, Joe Coys is going to come and share with us a moment for stewardship.